0: Julia's at the back to receive any children and want to come back and get your Bible bag, reminder. Just got a smile on, she's ready to see you. So well, by this time of year, hopefully those of you who needed to get flu shots got them. And those of you who did not get them but got the flu wish you had gotten the flu shot. What do we know about shots? well they're also called immunizations or inoculations and an inoculation is defined as the following to give a person or animal a weakened form of a disease in order to prevent infection by the disease now of course sometimes you have gotten inoculations and have had some of the side effects of those or even gotten the disease itself that happens I shouldn't laugh at that but that does happen that's, that's part of the thing you sign off on. In social psychology, there's something called the inoculation effect. That's when one person tries to convince another and or themselves to strengthen their particular beliefs by warning that person of the constant threats out there to help them to not lose their belief. So this puts the person on guard. They now know about it. It's out there. So they're going to be a little bit more on guard. They've been inoculated with just enough knowledge to be aware. Now, that idea originated in the 1950s with a guy by the name of William J. McGuire. He was a social psychologist. And he was interested in what had happened after the Korean War, where several prisoners of war opted to remain with their captors. Popular opinion suggested, oh, they were brainwashed which sparked an interest among researchers in finding out how such situations could be prevented in the future. In our setting today, we're going to be tackling some verses that I think are probably quite familiar to all of us for one reason or another. We have actually been, and I mean this respectfully, we have been inoculated with them as we have seen What happens when people choose to live in a world of hate rather than love? So in some ways, I could stand up here right now this morning and say, Jesus says, love your enemies. Any questions? Good. Let's sing, pray, and go out and live it. I could say that because we have heard this so many times. The result, the reality, though, is that we have been inoculated just enough to know this truth, agree with it, believe we are living it, but in fact, not be willing to admit Jesus has just given us one of the most difficult, if not nearly impossible challenges. And so for that reason, it's easy for us to go on with life being okay with not following it 100%, because perhaps Jesus was just overstating his case, or perhaps it was for only another culture, or you fill in the blank. Well, let's see what Jesus says to us today, and let's read these again for the first time. If you would, open your Bibles, if you'd like, to Matthew chapter 5. are going to be traveling through this part of the Sermon on the Mount, which happens in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Here's what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. Let's pray. Lord, these are difficult words. And so we trust you to help us to understand them in our context and in and in the background of all that we have experienced in life and all the, the different ways that we look at life. Lord, may we receive what you want to say to us. Thank you for your word that speaks strong and clear. We want to hear it now in your name. Amen. So Jesus is calling us to a huge challenge today. It was one where we may find ourselves consistently lacking or failing. If we stop and think about how am I doing at loving enemies? There are moments when we're going to lack in that. There are moments when we're going to fail in that. But we are not a culture that likes living with that reality. We want everybody to win. Be successful. Be successful. Somewhere along the way, we have lost the art of losing well. If you've been following the Olympics, you might recognize the name Sean White, snowboarder. He'd won, in the the previous two Olympics, he'd won two gold medals in the halfpipe. Just amazing moves, just amazing. Fun to watch him. He was predicted to win a third, and I was rooting for him. I thought, wow, that would be so cool to see a guy win three gold medals in three different Olympics Right after each other, well, he came in fourth. And the next day on Facebook, somebody posted an ar- a link to an article to the effect that we're glad Sean White didn't get a gold medal. And of course, you know, as soon as you see a title like that, whoa, what's this all about? So I read it, but it was all about the fact that he ended up being a good loser. And here's how he was a good loser. He responded by being a good sport. He didn't blame his loss on the fact that, uh, you know, the weather was a little different that day or the snow was a little bit too soft or anything like that. He didn't give up because he said, there's going to be another opportunity for me. And he even asked some people for a hug. That's a good loser. Now, in this attitude, we're reminded of that. We don't always win, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't learn and move forward. That doesn't mean we shouldn't ask for a hug and keep going. So when Jesus says these words to us this morning, I want you to keep that in mind, that it's okay, not okay for you to keep losing, but okay for you to learn from those times that we lack and we fail in truly loving our enemies. In a culture where it seems everybody gets a trophy and a standing ovation these days, these verses make it difficult for us to really dive in and to live them out to their full extent. So let me encourage you. Picture with me for a moment, Christ is holding his hand out and saying, come on, come with me. We're going we're gonna to make this work. We're going to walk together. I offer you three words today. As I was thinking about this, this sermon, this topic, three words came to me. They're going to feel weird at the beginning but just hang with me maybe by this afternoon you'll still remember part of the sermon instead why and besides well those aren't three points you just go well where's he going with all this well let's let's jump in look at verses 38 to 42 instead Jesus reminds the listener that they had heard it said that the punishment must match the injury that's the Old Testament law an eye for an eye tooth for a tooth this was said to be the oldest law in the entire world. So everybody knew what Jesus was talking about at this point. But you will notice as you look at those verses in your Bible that Jesus says, instead, do not resist. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, give them the other one. Now, I often think of that when I've read that verse, I think like a, just a violent hit. But often that, what he was talking about was an insult hit with the back of the hand. So if somebody insults you on one side, give them the other one. Then he goes on to say, if you are sued in court and your coat is taken from you, instead and in addition, go ahead and give them your cloak as well. Now, the coat was the the thing that they wore on the inside, and the cloak was what they wore on the outside to give them a little extra warmth and something they slept in. When we were in Kenya, I was thinking about this, and I thought, these Maasai warriors that we spent time with, our friends there, they had an undergarment. You can see on their shoulders or they're holding in hand is their cloak. And they at night, uh, because what we slept in a, a Maasai eco kind of camp, one of the guys slept out to protect us and he slept in his cloak. He had it all over his head. That was what Jesus said, hey. If you get sued for your undergarment, go ahead and give him your cloak as well, that thing that keeps you warm. Go the extra mile. Then he talks about if the Roman soldier asked you to carry his gear for a mile, which was if a Roman soldier asked you to carry your gear for a mile, you carried it for a mile. That's all you had to do. Jesus said, no, go ahead and say to him, you know, sir, actually, I'll take it two miles. And then one more time, Jesus says, if somebody asks you for something, go ahead and give that to them. Now, Jesus issued, that's a tough challenge. We could sit here, of course, and talk about that. And I had to stop and think, well, so what are my fears about just those statements? We haven't even gotten to the love your enemy part. What's my fears about that? One, I'm going to lose some of those things. I won't do those as well as I'd like to. Or how does that really practically play out in life? If somebody begs for me, do I really give to them every time? If somebody slaps me on the cheek, do I really let them get away with that? Are we really helping someone if we let them do whatever they want? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, there's no easy answers that are going to fit into this sermon. These types of questions require long and thoughtful, godly discussions. Our fears are legitimate, but Jesus is still calling us to a different standard. He will give us the power and wisdom, and he's given us the church, the body of believers, to be around us, to support, and to walk with us in that. Now we get to verses 38 to 42. Jesus is just setting us up for a bigger punch. He knows his listeners have heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He knows the law has required they love their neighbors and even strangers, but he's now taking it to a new level in verses 43 and 44. He says, instead, love them and pray for them. Praying was another way to show love and can change your perspective on an enemy. There have been people in my life, we've all had them. Before I was in the ministry, I remember somebody had told me, uh, I worked construction for a while and I had a really tough boss, and somebody said, you should just start praying for that guy. So I really did not like him, I did not enjoy working for him. Once you start praying for somebody, it may not mean you like them a whole lot more yet, But it changes your attitude because you realize Jesus died on the cross for that person as well. So here's where I think we may have become inoculated in a bad way. We have limited our list of enemies. While Jesus is saying the list is not limited. This is not a conditional love that we extend to people. We don't get to define what enemies we will love or not love. Jesus simply says, Love your enemies. And in the New Living Translation, the the translators put an exclamation mark after that. Love your enemies. In limiting our list, we have lowered the bar. And we've made it easier for ourselves to win at this challenge. Jesus did not set the bar low. If we're doing this right... There will be losing and failure as we are confronted with an extended list of enemies that we find difficult, if not impossible, to love. Some of those may include people from other countries or other cultures, people from other political persuasions, or those from other religions, or even other churches who don't quite believe as we do. Who is still on our enemy list this morning? Who have we conveniently compartmentalized into a small little box and kind of shoved the enemies that we really are not going to choose to love? Who's in that box over there in that little corner of our life, that dark corner? Jesus said, love your enemies. And now he gives us the why. We've talked about the instead, now the why. Verse 40, 45. Answers the question, says, so that you may be children of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And God wants all of his children to be loved. Do You notice that all his children have, do and will receive the same treatment. The sun is going to rise on the evil and the good. The rain comes to the righteous and the unrighteous. Everybody deserves to be equally loved. We can moan, we can complain all we want. Who gets what and why do they get that and not us? But we are reminded in Jesus' words that citizens of the kingdom of heaven see the big picture. Understanding his love for the unlovable and the lovable. And that we're called to do the same. And furthermore, we are called as Christians, as those who follow Jesus, to be a signposts to God for those who feel hate and for those who feel shunned. And if we, do, if we don't become those signposts to God, the world will put up plenty of its own, and they're going to point to something else. To love the enemy is scary, and it's certainly not as comfortable as making them out to be villains. We're all children of God, and we are never more truly His children when we release our fears to our loving Father, who will take us to a new standard. And then Jesus says, and he doesn't use these words, but I thought them. And besides, I have he, I have given you the instead. I have given you the why. So here's one more thing. And besides, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do that. If you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others the gentiles do that singer songwriter john mayer's most recent song simply says you love who you love and i was asked to write a bible study on that song just a kind of a, a bridge to these i thought whoa those are okay you love who you love that was a course and i thought whoa that's true we really do love who we love and Jesus knew that. It's easy to love people we love. How about those people we don't love? That's the harder part. And if we only love those we love, how are we different than the rest of the world? Even tax collectors love their level. Even our biggest enemies love someone who loves them. There, everybody has love out there somewhere. So doing this takes us back to the we should be winners all the time thing. If we love only those who love us and greet our brothers and sisters, we take the way of the world while failing to reach out to the unlovable and the hopeless. We've not allowed Christ to take us to a place where we can ultimately make a big difference in this world through the mercy, through the grace, through the forgiveness, through the love and the power of Almighty God. And then Jesus finishes with verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. You can hear him saying, and besides all that, I have said earlier, there is the highest of all standards toward which I challenge you to move. Be perfect. Wow. uh, Jesus, you've given us a lot already. Way back at that given the right cheek, the left cheek thing, that was hard enough. Now you're telling us to be perfect in all of this. Well, in the Greek, that word means to be whole, to be complete. Uh, And in that culture, to be a full-grown man was the further definition of that, or full-grown woman. It's only used twice in the Gospels. The only time that word is used in the Gospels is twice, and it's always connected with the love and giving one's possessions for others. That's how we're to be perfect and whole. So this is not about being a perfectionist. For those of us who struggle with that, I don't want to, oh, now oh, I, I can't do that. We can't all love enemies all the time. We can't all give our cloak all the time. It's hard. We fail. We lose. But we continue to walk together. So this is about finding our identity and purpose in the one who is whole, Complete perfect. When we seek to imitate Christ, we are striving toward that wholeness. We will reject retaliation and instead love our enemies. Why? Because we are children of God who are called to love all his creation. And besides, loving the unlovable and hopeless brings the greatest reward. And in that way, we move toward being whole and complete and full grown. So, this morning we've named the challenge, we've named the fears, and we've been called to a new standard. So as we close this morning, I'm just going to post five quick action points that I want you to think about. One, identify and confess your biases in life. The targets of your dislike and even hate. I've been so impressed when I've been around people who say, I know I am biased against a certain culture or a different accent or uh, whatever it might be, and they're working through it. I admire that when people have identified that in their own life. Secondly, confess your fears about what it means to actually love your enemies and to do these words of Jesus and to release those to God. Third, ask God to forgive you. We know he does. There's no question about that. Four, find ways that you can help and others can help you to live a life of love in our community and world. I know I need people around me who will stretch me to love people that I might struggle to love. We need those people. And finally, live it. And I love the two words that go together that I've used quite often in the last years, fail forward. It's okay. Jesus walks with us in our imperfection and brings us to wholeness. So in the safety and the quietness of this place, let Christ dwell in your heart as you honestly come before him. May he speak clearly to you and may we together move boldly forward as a community of faith to love our world as Jesus has loved us.